0: I ask you to please stand with me out of reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Acts eleven nineteen 19 to 30. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. "'speaking the word to no one except Jews. "'But there are some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, "'who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, "'also preaching the Lord Jesus. "'And the hand of the Lord was with them, "'and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. "'The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, "'and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. "'When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad, "'and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord "'with steadfast purpose.' For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. And one of them, named Agabus, stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the world. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. And they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. This is the word of the Lord, May he writes eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Let's pray together. Almighty God, as we consider this passage, we see the way that you, the ways that you care for the church. And we see that one of the key ways that you care for the church is through the church. Help us, I pray, through the power of your Holy Spirit, to be that kind of church who truly cares for each other and in this local body, and not just for this local body, but even further afield for those who have need beyond us. Lord, may we not be focused just on ourselves and on our issues, whether it's personally or own families, or even in our church family, but to think broadly, to think about the fact that we are part of something infinitely bigger than us. We're a part of your work in this world. We are a part of your kingdom. We're one with every Christian on the face of this planet. And so we praise you for this, that you have done this for us, and you're doing it in us, and you will do it through us. Strengthen us, I pray. Help us, Lord, to walk differently because of your work in us. For We pray this again for your glory and for the building of your church. Amen. Please be seated. Well, this morning in Acts chapter 11, 19 to 30, we're going to see the church spreading out beyond the borders of Israel, going out by sea and by land with the gospel message to other locations around the eastern Mediterranean. The gospel goes out to Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. But the focus in this passage is really on Antioch, which is a major city in what is now southwest Turkey. It's a little inlet about 30 kilometers up the Orontes River, and it's a, which is a major port. Now you've very likely heard of, of Antioch in the news lately, referring to it by its modern Turkish name, Antakya, as being one of the worst hit cities by the Turkish earthquake that happened on February the 6th. But Antioch in the time of Acts was a prominent city with a population of around a half million people. It was the third largest city in the Roman Empire after Rome and Alexandria. It was cosmopolitan in character, including a large population of diaspora Jews. It was an e- important economic center and also a center for pagan worship and its associated immorality. And it was this city that became the cradle of Christianity. The church was born in Jerusalem and spread through Judea and Samaria and now began to spread to the uttermost parts of the earth. The, the church in Antioch it becomes the beachhead for the spread of the gospel into the surrounding Gentile regions. And as such, Antioch, again, serves as the cradle for Christianity. It, it is here that the baby church will be nurtured and will come of age. Christ is still building his church. As I talked about with the kids, there's something very special about the love of a mother for her baby. The the intimate connection, the selfless care she provides for that child is, is really one of the most beautiful pictures you'll see in this life. She goes through unimaginable pain to bring the baby into the world and then immediately begins to care for the baby as even before she catches her breath. Immediately nursing and and nuzzling her child. And and she will continue to care for that baby, to nurture that baby, sacrificing her own needs, especially sleep, to make sure her baby gets the best possible care. She patiently endures crying and diapers and food dumped on the floor. I think the the care of a mother for her baby is is a really uh, appropriate picture for the Lord Jesus as he cares for the church. He suffered the agonies of the cross in order to bring the church into the world, to give birth to the church. And with perfect patience and diligence, he trained the apostles as, as those who would serve as the first generation of witnesses in the world. And he patiently endures our messes, our sins. And even cleaning them up, he redeems them for his glory and for our good. So these apostles that he trained, we we see that the message they made firsthand, but these, these apostles that he trained would then share the message of Christ with others and they would train others after them to follow in their footsteps the Lord makes sure that that the church's material needs would always be met, and especially that the church's spiritual needs would always be met. And he's continuing to do that to this day. So this passage before us really shows how, how God cares for his church. And this passage also serves as a bridge from Peter to Paul. Now Peter's going to figure prominently in the next passage but then Peter will quickly fade into the background as Saul takes the focal point of the church's ministry through to the end of Acts. But this passage also provides a bridge to the the future ministry of the church beyond Acts. We'll see that the Lord's how the Lord cares for the church through the church, and the bulk of the ministry that Luke discusses discusses here in Acts chapter eleven is being done by the church, by the church. It's A lot of it is not really done by specific leaders. So we see that the church ultimately is going to become a grassroots movement. There's a great emphasis here on the number of Christians who are involved. First, this is also the first multicultural church comprised of both Jew and Gentile, loving and serving God and loving and serving one another. Really, in, in so doing this, this marks the church out as markedly different from the surrounding culture. They stand out. As Jesus said in John 13, 35, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so outsiders take notice of what is happening inside the church. And it's here that outsiders begin to call the disciples Christians. They're being like little Christs in the world. Jesus Christ is building his church and he is nurturing his church through the church. Three main points here in this passage. First of all, in 19 to 21, the Lord cares for the church through evangelists. Verses 22 to 26, the Lord cares for the church through teachers. And in verses 27 to 30, the Lord cares for the church through givers. So first of all, 19 to 21, the Lord cares for the church through evangelists. With Acts 11:19, 19, Luke returns to the theme of persecution that began with the martyrdom of Stephen back in Acts chapter 7. And then in Acts chapter 8, 1 to 3, remember Luke explained that after the death of Stephen, a great persecution broke out against the church. And Jerusalem caused the church to be scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And we saw that that Saul was the tip of the spear as he ravaged the church, dragging men and women off to prison. But a lot has transpired in in the last three and a half chapters. The Lord has used Philip to add Samaritans to the church and an Ethiopian to the church. Saul has been converted and added to the church. And the Lord has used Peter to add a group of Gentiles to the church. So there was persecution, but it caused the church to grow. And persecution is still causing the church to grow as we come into Acts eleven nineteen. Luke now says that the church was scattered even further from that persecution. He says that the dispersed Christians traveled as far as, as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. Now Phoenicia was a long sliver of land, about 100 kilometers long, or 150 kilometers long, along the easternmost shores of the Mediterranean coast, with, with Tyre and Sidon being its two main cities. Cyprus is an island in the eastern part of the Mediterranean Sea. And Cyprus also happens to be the birthplace of Barnabas, who we'll discuss shortly. But the focus in this passage, however, is on Antioch. The dispersed Christians, as they they went fleeing the persecution, they brought the gospel with them. And so again, we we saw as I mentioned a moment ago, that the church was born through the pain of Jesus Christ. And the growth in the church here in Antioch also came through pain. And that's still the case as in many regions around the world, as Tertullian is often paraphrased, that the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. But notice this time, different from what we've seen before, that these evangelists are not named as specific leaders, but as unnamed men and women who faithfully proclaim Christ. Again, this is a, this is a new development. Previously, Luke's focus has been on the Lord using specific leaders, especially the apostles and, and Philip, to grow the church. <clears throat> but now it's lay people. Now it's, it's the men and women of the church who the Lord is using. And even though Paul's ministry will be the focus of much of the rest of, of Acts, this passage again looks beyond Acts, where, where the growth of the church is really organic, accomplished through the, Lord's wor- and through the Lord's work throughout the whole body. That's how the church spreads in our culture today. Once missionaries arrive in a region with the gospel and establish a beachhead, then that beachhead becomes a place. The missionaries, most missionaries go as church planners. They, they establish a, a church, at which will be a beachhead in that region, and then the gospel begins to spread. But it's not now spread primarily through the leaders in the church, but the people in the church. Evangelism is not primarily the work of pastors. Although we are all called to be evangelists, myself as well, but every member of the church is called and commanded to be an evangelist. Yeah, this, is, this is every member ministry, something that we'll talk about again from this passage. Now we're told that some of these evangelists spoke the Word of Christ only with Jews. However, others, Luke tells us, specifically specifically, um, so there were, there were Christian, Jews from Cyprus and Cyrene, they also bore the witness of. We're told the Lord Jesus among Hellenists. Now, this this phrase here, Hellenists, we've seen this term before previously. Hellenists referred to Greek-speaking Jews, but in the context here, it, it refers to, to, to simply to, to Greek speakers. It speaks to, it refers to Gentiles, and so there was one group that, that went with the gospel to Jews, right? They're told it was the the word of Christ went to Jews and notice the distinction here now we see these other these other evangelists spread the lord the word of the lord Jesus among the Hellenists. so why is there a distinction there why is the focus there on on the word of Christ and now it's it's on the lord Jesus what do you think about the context here with, for these gentiles who the, the Jews were expecting Christ remember the the Christ is, the, the, is a Greek translation of the word Messiah, which means anointed one. The, the Jews had been expecting the Christ. They'd been expecting the Messiah. But these Gentiles had no context for that. So the focus here was on the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now it's, it's the same message. It's the same gospel message, but it's a different emphasis to these, to these, these different and, and varied groups of people. So here we have these Jews, these Jewish Christians are now proclaiming the gospel to Gentiles. Again, we, we think about it, we go, oh, okay. But think about what that meant in this culture. Think again just about the last passage we looked at about how the Jerusalem church balked at, at Peter spending time with Gentiles. Now by the end of, of chapter, of, of verse 18, they're, they're accepting, they're, they're too rejoicing. But, the, but this is, Extremely countercultural. Jews reaching out to and, and loving Gentiles. It's because of the work of Christ in their hearts. It's a dramatic turn of events. We're told in verse 21 that the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. So here we see that the Lord blessed and prospered their ministry by saving many. Now, now many being saved is not always the evidence of God's blessing and prospering of a ministry, that quite often when, when we share the gospel, it's actually for judgment of people. But at times, and we, we praise God for these times, that the sharing of the gospel will be used of God through the power of the Holy Spirit to convert many. We we pray for this. We pray for revival. We prayed even for revival yesterday amongst the, the many unbelievers who were, were gathered for Dirk's funeral. But the Lord added a great number of people to the church. There are a great number who believe. This is the first of three times in this passage that, that Luke refers to a large number of people in the Antiochian church. He is emphasizing that the major expansion of the gospel and the church in this region. But again, take note of the fact that this is the first multicultural church. The very first multicultural church was here in Antioch. It was comprised of Jews and Gentiles. Now there are going to be issues in the church in Antioch. It's here that Peter will succumb to the fear of man before the Judaizers and refuse to eat with the Gentiles, as Paul discusses in Galatians 2. But even still, in Christ, the dividing wall of hostility has been broken down the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, even if at times people would will, will try to heap up the rubble and create the division again, that wall has been broken down by God. So here we have Jew and Gentile worshiping God together. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ is building and caring for his church through the church. Verses 22 to 26, we see that the Lord cares for the church through teachers. So now word gets back to Jerusalem. And much like Peter and John went to Samaria in Acts chapter 8, after the Samaritans began to come to faith, the church now sent Barnabas to Antioch. And notice, again here, notice that the church in Jerusalem is referred to as the church. But, but the Jerusalem church and the Antioch church, they're, they're not two churches in, in isolation from each other. There, there's an important interconnection but between these two churches. As we're going to see, it goes really both ways. So the church, in sending Barnabas, it's possible that it might have had an investigative quality, that he might have been there to see, to to check out and and to judge what was going on. I don't think that was the only reason or even the main reason that Barnabas went to Antioch. And think about this, by by who did they send? Again, it's Barnabas. Think about Barnabas' character. The, The choice of Barnabas for the tax task points to another reason. We've already seen how how Luke highlights the character of Barnabas. Remember back in Acts chapter 4, Luke told us about his his generosity and that although his given name was, was Joseph, the apostles gave him another name. They called him Barnabas, which means the son of encouragement. Remember, it was Barnabas who vouched for Paul and helped him to gain acceptance in the Jerusalem church. So I don't think Barnabas was primarily there to judge what was going on but rather to encourage what was going on. And that's exactly what he did. Furthermore, as a diaspora Jew from Cyprus, the very region that these events are taking place, he added to his his suitability for the task. When Barnabas arrived in in Antioch, he witnessed for himself the evidence of the grace of God in the believers, and he rejoiced. He rejoiced. He, He acted in accordance with his character, The the son of encouragement now encouraged them to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He's he's calling them to single-minded or to single-hearted devotion to the Lord. Now, as we think about about Barnabas and and his ministry here in, in Antioch, do you think he would have seen some things that were wrong? Guarantee it. But how does he respond? He encourages them. He encourages them. I think here it's appropriate to ask. We need to ask ourselves. I need to ask myself, are you an encourager or a discourager? An encourager or a discourager? You know, it's it's a lot easier to, to see what's wrong in the church than what's right in the church. It's very easy to see what's wrong. Sometimes you need to look a little bit harder because you have to look quite often past the beam in your own eye to see what's right in the church, what's right in your brothers and sisters. So by God's grace and through the power of the Spirit, train yourself to look for evidences of grace in your brothers and sisters in Christ. Seek to glorify God then by telling them that you see God glorified in their lives. It will give you and it will give them hope in overcoming their weaknesses. And when it comes to to the weaknesses that you see in others, very likely they see them for themselves. But remember that you are not the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who will convict them. It is the Holy Spirit who is sanctifying them. Now, I'm not saying that you should never go to a brother or to a sister about a problem, but that these conversations be bathed in prayer in the context of encouragement and a loving and serving relationship this person needs to know that you love them before you try to correct them. You need to know that you love them before you try to correct them. And if they don't and you don't, it's probably not gonna go well for either one of you. But now in verse 24, Luke highlights Barnabas' character again, saying that that he was a good man and, and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. This is really one of the highest commendations that anyone can receive. This is, he's really, Barnabas is, is the only one in Acts, one of the only men in the Bible to be referred to as good. Now it's obviously good in the, in the broad sense, general sense of the word. He is described as being like Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. Now full of the Holy Spirit means that he was filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered for ministry, and empowered for service to God and the church by the Holy Spirit. Faith also is a gift from God for service. It's a, it's a laying hold of God's promises and it's, it's preaching God's promises to yourself and it's acting on God's promises. That's, that's, uh, that's one definition of faith. And so Luke tells us that now through the ministry of Barnabas that a great number of people were brought to the Lord. But again, the emphasis is on the great growth of the church in Antioch. But that's not all that, that Barnabas did here in Antioch. This ministry and all all of these these new conversions created a problem, and that was a good problem, but it was a problem nonetheless. All of these new converts needed to be discipled. They needed to be to be taught and to helped to be helped along in the growth. Remember, this is this is brand new. This is a brand new work. And and really, there were there were very few. Mature Christians, there were very few who had actually been Christians very long there. In fact, there were very few that had been Christians for long anywhere at this point. So Barnabas went looking for Saul. Remember, we last heard from Saul when he was sent back to Tarsus in Acts chapter 9. Now, assuming that Barnabas traveled on foot, it would have been the journey of about 240 kilometers would have taken them well over a week each way. And when he arrived in in Tarsus, it it seems from the wording here that Barnabas had a hard time finding Saul. Very likely Saul would have been disowned by his Orthodox Jewish family for coming to faith in Christ. Remember he talks about this in Philippians 3 that that he counts all things as loss for the sake of Christ. And we don't know what what Paul was doing during this seven or eight year interval between Acts chapter 9 and now but Barnabas managed to find him and to bring him back to Antioch. And then this, this, really this dream team of, of Barnabas and Saul is going to figure prominently for the next several chapters. Now it's, spoiler warning, there's going to be a problem in that relationship too. It's, it's, for a time, it's, it's, there's going to be friction and separation between these two men. But here in Antioch, for for a whole year, they gathered with the church and taught many people, Jew and Gentile together. Again, hear hear this, many people were in this church. That's the emphasis here on the many people. And the implication is that the whole church was being built up. Again, the Lord is caring for for his church, helping her to grow through the teachers that he has given and equipped. And that is still the case today. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord raises up men in local churches who are to serve as pastors to feed the whole flock of God over which He has which He has purchased with His blood and made them overseers. Acts 20, 28. But even though there, there are men who are in these, in these, um, in these positions as teachers in the church, this is still every member of ministry. We all have a responsibility to speak the word to each other. As Paul writes in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So are you part of the church? That's that's a rhetorical question. If you are here on a regular basis, you are part of this local church. You're also part of the, the broader church the universal church. But it's your responsibility every bit as much as it is mine and Joshua's to speak the word of God to each other. But in so doing, be careful to build each other up, not to tear each other down, Ephesians 4.29. And this will mark you as different. Luke says here that in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. They, they were recognized as distinct. They, they were not recognized any longer as Jew and Gentile, but as one together in Christ. One man in place of the two, Ephesians two fifteen. 15. So, and those on the outside recognized us and called them Christians. Called them followers of, of Christ. And because they were so different from the pagan culture around them, calling them Christians was was likely a a slur, a a derogatory comment or an insult. And here Derek Thomas asks, he said, if you were charged with being Christians, meaning that that, that we resemble Christ, would there be evidence to convict? And with my knowledge of of the vast majority of you here, I could say, yes, you could definitely be Say, guilty as charged, I'm a Christian, because of the way that you conduct yourselves. You're striving against sin. Your kindness to one another. Your humility, your your selfless service mark you out as different. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in your hearts. Now, I realize that we all have have weak spots in in these areas but I, I trust in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit and those who are Christ's, that, that you will grow, all of us will grow in each of these areas as well. And increasingly through our lives, as we're predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ, we will grow in Christ likeness. And, and look, all the more as our life progresses, like little Christ, bring witness to Christ in the world. Derek Thomas continues. Sooner or later, nominal Christianity will accommodate itself to the pagan culture. It will adopt its values and conform to its levels of acceptability. And we see quite a bit of this even in our city where churches have have rejected the inerrancy, sufficiency, and authority of God's word. And so they're drawing their cues from the culture rather from God's word. And so they're being conformed to the culture rather than conformed to Christ. May the light of Christ shine more and more brightly through us against the darkening backdrop of our surrounding culture. Finally, in verses 27 to 30, the Lord cares for the church through givers. Now we're told that Barnabas is, is not the only one from the Jerusalem church to visit the church in Antioch. He tells us that prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. The Didache, which is probably the, the earliest work produced by the church apart from the scriptures, <coughs> sp- <coughs> excuse me, speaks to providing hospitality for traveling prophets. As an aside here, as an aside here, we need to recognize that the, the church doesn't actually produce the scriptures. That the scriptures produce the church. Right, do you understand the difference? That the this, the scriptures cannot be, to said to be said to be directly produced by the church, but by the Holy Spirit through the men of God. It was the prophetic ministry of the church in the in these, these men who were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write down the scriptures that created the church and, and also these men at this point in church history, the, these men who served as prophets and quite often traveling from, from church to church uh, forth telling the word of God. And also foretelling what would take place. And, it, and it's here that this is what's happening in Antioch at this point as, as a prophet named Agabus comes and warns the church about a coming worldwide famine. Now when, when it says worldwide here, it's, it's speaking of the, the known world. It's speaking of the, of the Roman Empire. That there's going to be a famine that would spread throughout the Roman Empire. We're going to meet Agabus later on in, uh, in Acts 21.10 where he, he prophesies of the arrest of Paul. But here again, his focus is, is on this, this coming famine. And Luke inserts the editorial comment that this took place during the reign of Claudius. He, he provides here a, a helpful timestamp uh, for, for when these events took place. Uh, this, this prophecy of, of Agabus was fulfilled as a major famine took place when the Nile River flooded in AD 45. So we know it was, it was around this time that this, this, this growth of the church took place in Antioch. We know that the famine spread through much of the Roman Empire. In fact, the historian Josephus speaks of this widespread famine from the years A.D. 46 to A.D. 48, immediately after the flooding of the Nile River. And so, so what was the church's response? Verse 29, the, the disciples determined everyone according to his ability to send relief to the brothers in Judea. And so this is, this is a voluntary love offering. This is not something that they are compelled to do from a top-down orders from the, the leaders in the church. It is something, again, it's a grassroots level. This is every member ministry. The whole church is, is concerned for, for their, their Christian brothers in, in Judea, so they, they gather up everything they can as a, as a love offering for them. And, and what do they do? They, they send this back to the church in Jerusalem. So so the church in Jerusalem had sent Barnabas to to encourage and to support them. And now the the church in Antioch is going to send Barnabas and Saul back to Jerusalem with with this love offering that they'd taken up. It's a beautiful picture, again, of the the interrelation of of these these two separate churches. They love each other in Christ. and, And many of them have never met. Many of them would never meet until... And and still I don't know exactly how it is in, in, in paradise right now, but st- they still haven't met. they'll meet at the return of Christ. This is beautiful. And, and again I I see this in, in this church the way that, that, that we have sought is one example is Sergei and Resa. We've sought to this church has sought to, to love Sergei and Resa. We've never met them. Now hopefully we meet them soon. But but this 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 dear couple who we've never met, our brother and sister in Christ, we're seeking to serve them even though we've never met them. Again, it's a it's a picture of the way that the Lord uses the church to care for the church. And again, don't, don't miss the fact that this is predominantly Gentile Christians now serving Jewish Christians. We we'll see this happen will happen again. Paul will speak of, of something similar taking place in, in Acts, sorry, in Romans 15, where he, he's collecting an offering again for the, the, the churches, for the churches in, in Judea, Jerusalem. The Lord uses the church to care for the church. And this is how everyone will know that we are Christians by the care that we have. For one another, not just the one another in this room, but the one another who are further afield. All of those who are truly trusting in Christ. Again, I see just, I've, I've seen the way that this, that this church has, has sought to, to love Dirk and, and those who are grieving Dirk's death. None of us have met Dirk, but I hope one day we will, and I hope one day we'll, we'll meet others that have, have come to faith through the ministry of this church in the lives into uh, and, and the lives of those who are grieving Dirk. so the lord cares for his church the lord continues to care for his church and the lord will continue to care for his church until he returns to take his church home but i think as we as as we project out a little bit i you know i, I began with a, a a beautiful picture of of the, the uh, mother's care for her baby, as an illustration of how God cares for the church. So, so, but what do you do then, with with this with this earthquake that took place in Antioch earlier this year? They killed over forty thousand people in 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 Turkey, and another five thousand in Syria. I believe it was 14,000 people in, died in, in Antioch alone. Now, again, we don't know whether, whether some of those are Christians, but, but how do you reconcile that with, with God and His sovereignty? Well, we have to recognize that we don't necessarily understand what God is doing in things like earthquakes, but we know that He is sovereign even over earthquakes. It, it didn't slip under His radar but that God is is going to use even that earthquake somehow for His glory and for the building of His church. You know, I think of of another tragedy that struck in Antioch, something that is, is actually far more devastating than that earthquake, where in the fourth century, Antioch was the epicenter of a far worse disaster. The Arian heresy, the denial that Jesus Christ is the eternal Son of God, began in Antioch, because it is here that the heretic Arius was raised and came under the influence and the, of the teaching of the city's bishop of Samosota, who is widely recognized as the culprit for the birth of Arianism. You say, how is God caring for the church in Antioch when he allows these heretics to come and to, to let, let these, these, this false teaching ravage the church? You know, 14,000 people died in, in that earthquake. But many more have, have not just died, but have gone to hell through the Arian heresy. We recognize that that. We can see it as we, again, if we look, as we look back on history, we can see that it was because of, of the fact that God allowed this heresy of Arianism to rise up in the church, that the church began to crystallize a biblical doctrine of the Trinity. And it it's because of the Arian heresy that, that began in Antioch that we have the Nicene Creed that, that was, was completed in 381 which presents for us a clear confession of Orthodox Trinitarian theology. So God was at work even in the heresy that he allowed, again, he's not the author of sin, but he allowed that heresy to take place in the church so that the church could crystallize and understand in a deeper way who he really is. Again, this, this, this is a, an apparent paradox to us. We can't understand how how God, who is sovereign and is not the author of sin, allows these things to take place in, in order to to help the church and to glorify His name. But if you want to think about that, think about the cross. Really, what was the, the worst thing that has, has ever taken place in, in the history of creation? Wicked human beings nailing the incarnate Son of God to a cross of wood out of hatred for God. But it was through that cross, in the plan of God, through the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, that he ordained the salvation of his people. And so when you begin to, when you consider God's care for the church, when you consider God's care for for you, sometimes it's easy just to to focus on the moment of the trial that you're walking in. But but try to interpret all of, of what is taking place. We talked about that at the funeral yesterday. Interpret all of life through the word of God, especially through the gospel. Take a step back from your circumstances and consider Christ watch and see how God will, through Christ, redeem your circumstances, brother and sister Christian, for your good and for his glory. Let's pray together. Our loving, triune God, we praise you for the gospel. For in the gospel, we see most clearly, most powerfully, who you are, and who you are for us in Christ. Help us, I pray, Lord, to consider our circumstances in the light of Christ. Help us to consider our circumstances in light of your care for us in Christ. Help us, Lord, I pray, to be different through the power of your Holy Spirit, to be like Christ and increasingly unlike the world. Do work in us. Glorify your name in us. That your church might grow as it is built up through your care and the power of your Holy Spirit as the church builds itself up in love. Amen.